0: Let's pray once more. Oh, Father, I thank you. I thank you that I, I can sense that your spirit was moving um, in the planning process. As songs were selected for this Sunday, as people looked at your word and looked at the passage and chose a song and chose a chose a a segue verse to say and prayed and you have already been at work in constructing this Sunday through those people and I say thank you. Thank you for your spirits already moving in the quiet moments of planning and now as we've sung and I pray that your spirit would continue to move do that now which only you can do please move amongst us Please work deeply within us in supernatural ways. Come, Spirit, and work, we ask. We ask because on the other side of your working, on the other side of us surrendering to your work, Holy Spirit, in humility and childlike awe, on the other side of that is joy, rest, comfort, This is what you're up to in the world, and I say thank you. Thank you that you are you. Thank you that you're the God that's there. Please show us more of yourself now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, David says, my shepherd, he brings me comfort. And we respond, of course he does. (laughs) Of course he does, because we, modern Americans, are awash in comforts, <laughs> awash in comforts. And and this is natural, this is natural when, when people follow God, they, you know, the, the the cocaine bill goes way down, and they stop sleeping around, and you marry one woman, and you start to work hard in your life, and... You build a family and then there's more families and you build communities and then those communities become hives of industry and mutual blessing and then that produces a surplus. And then that surplus causes that society to go from no refrigeration to computers on your refrigerator. (laughs) Um, Blessing. Surplus. But there's a danger here. The the Puritan preacher Cotton Mather famously said that godliness begat blessing, and the daughter ate the mother. (laughs) The daughter ate the mother. Um, We are prone to defect defect from the comforter and live just for the comforts. But we are finding now in this generation that they don't pay off, That, that that kind of life does not pay off because the comforts themselves, while they reflect the character of the comforter, they themselves are thin and brittle. They wear out. And so in all of our comforts, ours ours is a very thin and brittle generation. It is a striking irony that in our generation, with all of our comforts, how uncomfortable we are. Awash in comforts, we of all generations seek comfort. Well, anywhere except in God. We are like Hosea's generation in Hosea 7.14, of whom God said, they do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds, upon the thing that's meant to give them comfort. They cry to it saying, please give me more comfort. For grain and wine, they gash themselves, they rebel against me. Sometimes rebellion takes the form of tears falling on our pillows. Thus, to his generation and to ours, To our generation, David declares that my shepherd brings real comfort. Real comfort. Thus he is calling all of us to experience with him this comfort and this comforter. A comfort that transcends circumstance and comes by the most ironic of ways, by his rod of rule and his shepherd's staff. So the the passage we're considering is the the second half of verse 4 that you just heard read of Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff. So we need to consider this in light of what's come before. David envisions himself walking through seasons of life where great evil looms over him. Threats everywhere in the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. And it is it is very understandable when you are in a place of weakness to fear, to, to fear evil when when evildoers surround you. When you are a sheep and you are surrounded by wolves in the trees, as you walk through a very dark valley, and those wolves are driven only by a lust for evil, fear is very understandable. It's human. But David exults that even then he will not fear, that that fear does not rise to be the thing that controls him. Why? He says, For you are with me, David says. For you are with me, in the verse above. In the valley of the shadow of death, both evil wolves and his good shepherd are present. They're both present. But no matter how many wolves there are, there is something about the shepherd that outweighs any reason to fear the wolves hiding in the trees. What is that? Well, when King David the sheep, we must remember, the the only way to truly understand Psalm 23 is to read it as a sheep. David envisions himself, King David, as a sheep. When David the sheep looks up, he looks out at the wolves, he is tempted to fear, but then he looks up to his good shepherd. And when he looks up to his good shepherd, he sees two things he sees a rod and a staff and the rod and the staff comfort him they leave him unafraid in his fear still fearing but unafraid and able to keep moving both of these items are rich with meaning in the history of Israel first the rod without a doubt the rod the word rod there signifies rule rule The same word is used for the word tribe in ancient Hebrew. To be a member of a tribe meant to live under the rod or the rule of the ruler of that tribe. And that rule implied the use of force to keep peace. The rod is an implement of violence. The rod is an implement of war or of justice. Either against enemies or against evildoers within the tribe, within the flock, the rod is a weapon used for war or for punishment, is an implement of power, an implement of power. But that power, David sees, is wielded not against him like the wolves wield their power against him, but for him in love, for him. On the other hand, the staff was about shoulder height, and it was used for shepherding, for herding sheep. It was a gentler instrument for pulling wandering sheep back, for leading the herd where they would find, as David says earlier, green pastures and still waters. And again, the concept is is rule, but more what we would call today the more benign word, leadership, shepherding. The staff is a tool of caring, more for war or punishment. Thus in Micah seven fourteen, Micah asks God, verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. And once again, this, this word for staff also came to describe peoples or nations or even a race. So to be a part of a people meant to live under the staff, under the care and protection of whatever leader existed over that people, whoever was the shepherd of that people. Thus, whether the rod and the staff were one implement or two, regardless, David sees two aspects of this good shepherd when he looks up at him, his rule and his care, his rule and his care. David the sheep looks up at his shepherd and knows that the shepherd rules, not only over his own flock, but he rules over the wolves in the darkness too. He rules, period. His rule is absolute. That's why he can rest underneath it. When he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, David cannot see into the darkness. He cannot see where the wolves are and see what they're preparing to do. But he knows that his shepherd can and does see and rules over that situation, over every step, sovereignly, completely, absolutely. He knows that his good shepherd is an absolute monarch in that situation. He is king. And he knows that whatever may come, his shepherd is able, is able, and will rule in an absolute fashion. Whatever low place a shepherd occupies in society, whatever that looks like, he is over his flock an absolute ruler for good or for ill. And David knows that his good shepherd will rule over him and all things for good. But more than that, he is able to guard David every step of the way through that darkness. And you think about David, think about what sins David committed in his life. (laughs) That's a long shepherd's crook. David could not sin his way out of reach of the staff of this good shepherd. So even if David were to wander and, and buckle under, the pressure, un, un, under the, 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 the pressure cooker situation of walking through this valley, surrounded by fierce wolves, even if David were to buckle and wander away, he will be held fast by his shepherd. All of this, all of this gives David tremendous supernatural comfort over his fears. Note that the circumstances have not changed. The darkness is still there. The wolves are still there. They're still hungry. They're still lustful somewhere there in the darkness. But what has changed is where David's eyes have looked. What's changed is the state of David's heart. And what's changed is that David now has a story to tell. That he's telling us a story that's been told and retold again and again and again over the centuries and brought countless people comfort themselves in their dark times of weakness and struggle. David went through this valley and he was comforted and now he's bragging, exulting to us and giving us and sharing with us that same comfort. David exults, my shepherd comforts me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though everything seems to be collapsing and every institution is failing, even though the world has gone dark with a blind insanity, I will fear no evil. My shepherd, he's got this. He's got this. He rules over it, and he leads me gently through it. David challenges all of us, all the world, every generation, with his exultant boast. Can your comforters do this? Can your porn, your pills, your pillows pull off this level of comfort, a comfort that transcends every fear, even the fear of death itself? Can your comforters do this? Answer, no, of course not. Only my good shepherd can do this. His rod and staff, oh, they comfort me. Come join me with this. Come join me in the experience of this. So we've, we've never needed these words more. Every Christian generation needs these, but we need them just as much as every generation has needed them, we, we nod at them and we take some sentimental pleasure from Psalm 23, but they are so much more than meant for a sentimental pleasure that these words are our very source, our ground of courage in the season of, well, in this season, in this historical season of dark decline because a, a blind insanity is creeping into all our institutions and infects the minds of so many in our time. And the pressure to cave under the weight a fear is so great. Oh, it is so hard, so heavy. When, when, you know, when you're the, the only Christian in your office, and unless you do A, B, or C, your very livelihood is in peril. And so the, the temptation to buckle underneath that can be almost unbearable, almost unbearable. But, okay, so, so there's, there's fear, but then there's another ditch, and that is to become black-pilled, Black pilled to become red pilled, as as has come to be known, is to wake up and see the world for what it really is. You know, full of full of commies, (laughs) full of commies who want to control everyone else according to a floating set of rules and philosophies, floating according to the whims of the uniparty in power. Um, But to be black pilled. To be blackpilled is to see this, to see all the wolves lined up along the walls of the valley, and then to give up hope. To see it clearly, and then to become darkly negative about it, embittered and depressed. Always talking about how bad things are, how bad things are. And either way, either, either if you fall into the ditch of craven cowardice or prevailing pessimism, the wolves got you. You've been neutralized, ready to become their next meal but somebody's got to stand. Somebody's got to stand in the gap. Someone must stand in protective love for ours and future generations. But in order to stand courageous and straight, there must be some rock to plant our feet on. And so we have to find our way into this psalm, into David's place for ourselves, and and not read the psalm just for a a sentimental level of comfort, but to experience the very same hope that David does here that's heavier than all of our fears. We have to find our way into this psalm. We have to see it clearly. And, And you know what? We have the ability to see it even more clearly than David could. Even more clearly, because we live on the other side of the ascension of our Lord Jesus. The ascension is the forgotten portion of the last events of Jesus. We rightly prize the cross and the resurrection, for at the cross all of our guilt and shame for our sins was washed clean. So now no one, no one can shame you in this world if you have not violated God's law. If you've not violated God's law, you are clean. And if you have violated God's law, you're clean. <laughs> you are free. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But then in the, new, in the resurrection, we're given new life. In his new life, we're guaranteed to share in the resurrection at the end of time. We will rise with him and enjoy his paradise forever. But what gets us from Now until that day, it's the ascension. We considered the ascension at the end of Luke. I'll I'll read the last few verses of the gospel of Luke. Verse 50, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The reason why their joy was so great, the reason why all they could think to do was just bless God, was because Jesus was going to the right hand of the Father, to the very throne of David, to reign over everything. Everything. Over Target, over Bud Light, over gay pride parades, over the California legislature, over a grand jury in Florida, over the weather, over your loved one's cancer, over everything. The ascension means Jesus is king, period. He reigns. He reigns as an absolute monarch over all things. So in the ascension, we we see the rod. We sheep look up and see the rod of our good shepherd in the ascension. But we also see the staff. And the second recounting of the ascension in Acts 1, Jesus tells the disciples, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As part of the ascension, Jesus ascends, But at the same time, he causes the Spirit to descend upon us. And it is no coincidence what is the Spirit called in the Gospel of John. The Comforter. The Spirit is the presence of Jesus in us. The Spirit communicates with our spirit that though all the wolves are present, though you are surrounded by wolves, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I will hold you fast. I will hold you fast no matter what they do. And I will hold you fast no matter what insane sins you do. Because you have the same insanity inside of you still that them ones have out there. It's not yet gone. You are redeemed, but it's not yet completely disappeared. I will hold you fast. So Christian... Christian, do you know that every generation of Christians has experienced and lived under this rod and this staff and has been ruled over and cared for successfully by our good shepherd? Every generation of Christians has. Thus, we will not be the first generation to be let down by him. When you when you see Christ through the resurrection, we we don't see everything, and and we there's there's a gajillion things we don't understand that are fully above our pay grade. But what we do see, what we do see, is that we are shepherded by a good shepherd, and we are not going to be the first ones that he lets down. He's not going to choose this generation to say, "Oops." He has got you. He has got us. He is our good shepherd and he will see us through all the way through this valley of the shadow of death. He will hold us fast. In fact, we see this even more clearly. What David could only see in part, we are privileged to see in full in the ascension. Our good shepherd rules and leads us. He will not fail us. That's good news. That's good news. Okay, but, so, so, so what about us? What, there's got to be something we do, and, and there are. There are three requirements, three requirements for us to experience this comfort. To take hold of the ascension, to take hold of it for us. There are three requirements. We must ground ourselves in the reality of the ascension, but there's three things that we must do, and the first is this, to live under the absolute rule of our heavenly monarch. Jesus is king, period. There is no square foot of existence over which he does not say, mine. And that includes your life. That includes them ones out there and includes us ones in here. Mine. So this this means he is He says, mine, in your house, on your phone, on your Netflix account, and how you eat ice cream, and how you watch news, and how you take walks, and how you parent, and the mate you choose, and what you think about geology or German poetry. Over, I don't even know if Germans do do poetry, but (laughs) over all of it, he says, mine, he is an absolute monarch, he is king, so the comforts that we seek, we must, we must realize, because we're, we're good red-blooded Americans and nobody's going to rule over us, you know? Nobody's going to rule over us. So we like the word leader, we don't like the word rule. The, the problem is the comforts that we seek, the comforts that David found are located under the rod of his rule. The reason why you and I and our whole generation is so uncomfortable and so anxiety-ridden and and, and so seeking for comfort is that we refuse to bring ourselves in every aspect of our lives, not perfectly, but we refuse to repent and say, I intend to bring all of my life under your rule. We refuse to repent that way. And so we cry to our pillows and we say, oh, why is life so hard? Why is everything so bad? And God says, come to me, let's talk after you've repented, after you've brought your whole life under my rule. But the reason is, on the other side of that, bringing our whole lives to his rule, on the other side of that is the sweetest comforts we've ever known. Because to bring your life under his rule is to bring your life into alignment with with the, the, the deep design of the whole creation. To bring our lives under his rule means... To, to experience the created universe even more deeply and more sweetly than you ever have or ever could before. The universe groans, Romans 8 says, to be redeemed from its bondage when we all are redeemed at the end of time. But, but that, at that moment, that won't mean less rule by King Jesus, but that will mean in that moment, his rule will become fully flowered, fully, fully enveloping everything else, and only then will the creation be freed when his rule is complete and only then will we discover the purest joys along with all of the created order so life now life now is a sort of constant dress rehearsal for that day we're we're not going to do this perfectly none of us are we we need the cross <laughs> every day we need the cross every day but but all of life now is a sort of dress rehearsal for bringing For that day when everything will be brought under his rule, and when everything is brought under his rule, under his absolute rule, the great irony of history is that everything will become free. Pure. Awesome. (laughs) To use the fullest definition of that word. Awesome. So, under, it is under his rule where there are pleasures forevermore. So cast your eye across your life and just simply ask yourself, where am I holding back? Where, where, where do I refuse to repent and give this to him? I'm not saying do it perfect. I'm just saying, what, what is that? Do you, this. <laughs> do this. <laughs> See what he does with it. See what pleasures he brings on the other side of this. Secondly, our comforts, comforts, the comforts of the cross are found, number two, by drinking deeply from his three channels of grace, word, prayer, and fellowship. So I would like to challenge you, word, prayer, and fellowship. I'd, I'd like to challenge you to take this summer, we, a lot of people like start new things in January, like, okay, I'm really going to read my Bible and really going to start praying and I'm going to start going to church again. Like, January is like the worst time to do all of that. You know, it's just, summer is a great time. Summer's a great time to try out new things and, and make, them, make them a part of your life. So I, I challenge you to take this summer and to make each one of these Christian disciplines a daily presence in your life. Because by these three means, Jesus, by his spirit, becomes present with us. By these three disciplines, Jesus becomes present with us. And it's this presence that David feels, that David sees, that gives him victory over his fears, the presence of God with him. So by by word, I simply mean daily intake of the Bible. By praying, I mean praying. I mean praying for yourself and for others, but I mean praying out of the Bible, informed by what you just read Um, not just whatever occurs to you, but feel free to pray that too, but but to pray out of the Bible by something of what you just read. And then lastly, and perhaps the most important, as we will see in a moment, is fellowship. And by this I mean to have an an intentional, regular presence with other Christians in this church. Old with the young, young with the old, each in each other's kitchens and garages, borrowing each other's tools, learning where the silverware is all the while talking about the things of our King. So all all of this then, I I, I could have said, in in another way, I could have said, um, practice the Sabbath. I could have said, um, ask yourself, what do you do between 5 p.m. Saturday night and 5 p.m. Sunday night, and I will tell you a lot about your Christian trajectory with God. Because God sets aside that time period for us to invest especially. Because life is so doggone busy and crazy and weird. And, and God understands that. God understands that. So he, he gives us the Sabbath to especially invest with word, prayer, and fellowship. Um, and the fellowship part leads us to the third requirement. Number three, receiving comfort, sharing that comfort. Receiving comfort, sharing that comfort. Paul describes how God arranges this in 2 Corinthians 1. And note here that Paul does not separate the comforter from the comforts. This is crucial. But instead, he praises God because he is the giver of comforts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. But then the remarkable thing is how God brings the comfort. How God brings this comfort. Verse 4, God who comforts us in all our affliction, what you think about with Paul, let your mind run back on all of Paul's afflictions like shipwrecks, stoning, uh, nakedness, beatings, jail, you know, the list goes on. Um, none of which I have experienced, I don't think. Um, God comforted Paul and his friends in all their afflictions so that we, they, may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So notice the three absolute words there, all and any, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And then notice the word so there, so that, the the purpose. Here here is the, the strange and ironic way that God brings comfort into your life. He causes another brother or sister, probably in this church, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they look up to their shepherd and they see his rod and his staff and they are comforted in supernatural spirit-filled ways as they walk through that. But God is a generous God and he always creates a surplus. And so God creates comfort for them and he gives it to them and he gives a surplus of comfort and then somehow, some way, God connects the two of you and he causes the comfort that he gave to this one to apply to you. Um, the ability to comfort is not dependent on having shared the same kind of suffering. Usefulness and comfort, God God does it and he does it through only one means, by that person having received comfort from the good shepherd. To to put this another way, the the, the comfort that David is talking about here in some way is dependent on For the other person is dependent upon you receiving comfort in your time of trial and your walking through the valley of the shadow of death. When you are suffering, God is doing 3,003 million things. But one of them, as you go through that trial, God is creating comfort in you that will be applicable to another in this church. A real person with a real face, a real name in this church. God is not doing random in your suffering. He's doing something very intentional, something glorious. And it should not surprise us that he works this way by taking us sovereignly under his rod and his staff through the valley of the shadow of death. After all, we only know comfort, the comfort of of new life, of resurrection life in the face of death. We only know that comfort in the first place because our good shepherd went through the valley of the shadow of death by himself for us and our place in the first place. God comforted him by raising him from the dead. So we're only following in our master's steps and our king's steps as we go through the, the valley of the shadow of death in order that God in that might produce comfort for someone else. We're only following in our master's steps. Thus Paul can say in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 1, that our sufferings are actually sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so that through Christ we may share abundantly in comfort too, but this is for others, verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. We are, after all, the body of this good shepherd, the God of all comfort. And he is the God of all comfort. So, so ransack your Bibles for comfort. Pray, pray like your life depends on it for comfort. Engage in the fellowship of the saints like your life depends on it for comfort. And God will produce a rich harvest here amongst all of us of mercy and comfort. We are... We are led by a good, good shepherd. This good shepherd rules over this church, and he rules over all the nations, and he rules over all insanity, and he will work, and we will not be the first generation that will be let down. He will carry us to the very end. And that's how he gets all the glory. (laughs) And by that, we get all good. On the other side of his comforting, there will be joy forevermore. He will do it. So let's give him thanks for this now and ask him for his grace to to walk in these truths. Our God and our Father, we thank you. Thank you for shepherding us. Thank you for shepherding us far better than we deserve and far better than we could ask or think to ask you. But that is who you are. You are a generous Savior. You are profligate in your love to us and your grace to us. Make us a people that takes refuge in you, that is able to look away from the wolves and the trees and look up to your rod and your staff, to place ourselves, to to sit under them peacefully, to trust you, and to rejoice when you work, when you save, when you protect, as you rule and shepherd us all the way. In other words, we ask, will you get much glory here? Will you get much glory by leading your flock? We praise your name. We praise your name for your goodness, for you are truly a good shepherd. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Receive the benediction, which is the classic benediction spoken throughout the ages. And I can. I can say this benediction because of everything that we just heard, because of what a good shepherd we are ruled and shepherded by. May the the Lord, the Lord God, bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Go now resting in the fact that he just said yes to that prayer. (laughs) Amen.